1: I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial, our regular co-host on special assignment today, and we're delighted to have Tina Smith filling in for Carol. Tina works with Carol Zernial at the WellMed Charitable Foundation and oversees all of the caregiver programs. And Tina Smith, uh, it's been tough with COVID-19 uh, because the caregivers and the senior centers uh, are not accessible to them. Uh, how are you all connecting with caregivers?
2: You know, it has been tough because the usual supports that caregivers have had are just not there or or have been limited. And so what we've tried to do is to reach out to caregivers. We have all of our services are online or on the phone. Uh, We have support groups that caregivers can join, our teleconnection program where they can learn uh, from different experts around the country, as well as our stress busting program. So we try to, to open those avenues for that connection.
1: And one of the neatest parts is uh, many of them relied on the senior centers for meals, and you have been distributing meals uh, to them at the senior centers, no matter the weather, like the postman, nor rain, nor sleet, nor cold of night, or sun of day, you all are out there uh, passing out food.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the meals need to get out. People need to eat. I mean, and that's, a, that's been another struggle for a lot of people. So yes, they can drive up to the, the senior centers and are able to get um, a number of uh, meals to get them through the week.
1: Now, how did you handle that during the snow NATO where uh, we were really locked up in this city?
2: They weren't able to distribute the meals, unfortunately, because that started usually meal distribution here in San Antonio was on Mondays and Thursdays. And that snow hit Sunday night, and so that shut right. down. We called on members and checked on them, and, and as soon as we were able to get back out and provide those meals, we did.
1: Well, that's cool. Well, we want to welcome a very special guest joining us on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline. Uh, She joins us from California, Sacramento, Kate Washington. Her new book, Already Toast, Caregiving and Burnout in America. She also serves as a a critic of uh, restaurants and dining uh, in the Sacramento area. But as we talked off the air with COVID-19, there's not a lot of call for critiquing restaurants because most of them aren't open. Uh, But maybe that'll happen uh, in the near future. Well, thanks for joining us, and, and Kate, we're delighted to have a chance to talk with you.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I, I laughed when you uh, uh, wrote about, uh, as a caregiver, uh, taking one of those self-administered tests uh, to see how you're doing and how you're uh, positioned to handle it and how life is going, uh, and you turned out to be already toast, something you knew intuitively, Right.
3: Yeah, I would say so. Um, I did that quiz after a particularly tough doctor's appointment with my husband's oncologist where I was weepy and having a tough time. And he said, you know, you need to look for some support. So I went and looked and found this quiz and it told me I was burned out, which I think the doctor and I both probably could have told you before I took it. But the phrase struck me so much that I uh, hung on to it and used it as the title of my book.
1: Now, obviously, you took seriously in sickness and in health, in your wedding vows. Uh, When your husband uh, was diagnosed with cancer, uh, had you envisioned yourself as a caregiver? I really hadn't. Um, You know,
3: I was 42 and he was 44 when he was diagnosed. He seemed to be in great health. In fact, he was saying he was in the best shape of his life. It it turned out that he had lost quite a bit of weight, in part because of the lymphoma that he had. Um, But... uh, I had thought for a long time, kind of quietly, you know, someday I'll be taking care of my mom, but she unfortunately passed away when my um, younger daughter was a baby. So we were really in the thick of parenting. Our kids were in elementary school and, you know, lives is kind of, I was a busy writer. He was a busy professor at Sacramento State, our local university. And it was kind of the furthest thing from my mind.
1: And as you uh, fell into that role, uh, which is how many people become caregivers. Uh, what did you learn about yourself?
3: well, you know i I learned that I could rise to the occasion and and give the kind of care that my husband needed, but that at a significant cost to myself it was it was really hard and stressful, and you know it sometimes came with anger and with negative feelings that I think are common for caregivers and that sometimes can get hidden away or that people can feel guilt about. Um, you know, I did certainly find the reserves of strength that I think all caregivers need. And I, I think I already knew I had a sense of duty and I stuck with that and continued on with the work, but it certainly wasn't, wasn't always easy.
1: You know, you talk with literally hundreds and hundreds of caregivers throughout the year. Uh, I'm sure what you're hearing from Kate is pretty typical.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Many caregivers, as you mentioned, um, it's not something that you plan for. They just kind of find themselves doing that. So they're unprepared. And then on top of being unprepared, um, or, or just not sure of what to do, you know, one of the probably stressful things also is having to some of the tasks that they're asked to do. Um, that, you know, you're you're sent home from the doctor's office having to do medical treatments of some sort and uh, you're, you're not in the medical field. And so what do you do? And so that's, that can cause a whole lot of stress.
1: Uh, and and wow. as you think about your preparation for the role as a caregiver, uh, you've got yourself a, a PhD in Victorian literature. Obviously great preparation to be a caregiver. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, from Stanford University where uh, my son went, by the way, and she's a member of Les Dames d'Escoffier. Uh, so obviously you're a pretty good cook.
3: I I try, but uh, yeah, there was a period during the caregiving time when my husband couldn't eat at all, um, you know, and and that wiped out one of my talents. And then reading Victorian literature, you know, made me kind of the wrong kind of doctor for the role. But I think it's really critical what Tina was saying, that, that caregivers are often asked to do pretty high level medical tasks. And that was a huge surprise for me. And I think it's a surprise for millions of caregivers. Um, and it, it's scary because the life of this person that you love is entrusted to you and you aren't necessarily sure, or I wasn't necessarily sure that I was up to some of these medical challenges. The training can be quite brief and uh, it's, a, it's an overwhelming role.
1: What were some of those uh, medical challenges that you faced?
3: Well, in my case, one of them, the the first time that my husband went home from the hospital, he had a collapsed lung and was at high risk of infection. So he was on very heavy duty antibiotics that had to be given um, intravenously through his PIC line. So I was doing a, you know, Antibiotic push and flushing the line, which is you know not a particularly skilled task, but was certainly outside of my comfort zone. Um, there was administering shots, uh, insulin, things like that over the over the years of his care, and also when he came home from the hospital after the stem cell transplant that he had, he needed intravenous nutrition, which required hooking him up to a pump, which was quite a complicated and fussy procedure. And I know that. You know, other caregivers are entrusted with wound care, with dressing changes, and with all kinds, like a really wide range of medical tasks that I think um, is, a, is a phenomenon that has grown over the years as people are sent home for care at home, you know, sicker than they used to be in generations past.
1: Talk to us a little bit about your book. The, uh, we talked about how you uh, took a little survey. You knew you were already toast when it came from a standpoint of stress, what were you uh, uh, trying to do and who should read your book?
3: What I was trying to do with the book was, you know, I wanted to tell my own story of caregiving for sure. And so it's part memoir, but I also wanted to tell a bigger story about caregiving in America today, um, which does not get a large amount of systemic support and which is much, much more common than I think most people would think. Um, The latest numbers show there's more than 53 million Americans who are caring for an adult family member or friend um, without pay. That work often takes place behind closed doors. It can cause people to lose jobs, lose work hours. And it's economically very costly to the individuals and families involved, but also provides a huge amount of value to the economy and to the to the care recipients. And so I wanted to tell this bigger story of our culture around care and why there's such a lack of broad recognition. Of course there are many wonderful organizations working to support the caregivers and fill those needs such as, you know, we've been talking about here today. But I think this is a phenomenon of family caregiving that's only going to grow over time and that everybody needs to be prepared for. I mean, everyone I talk to about this book has a story about a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a parent, a spouse, somebody in their lives who needs care. And every family needs to prepare for caregiving to be their reality. And our society, I think, really needs to prepare to support caregiving much better going forward.
1: And the concern of many uh, is we're, we're going to run out of caregivers. Uh, there's so many families uh, that don't have the wealth of children who usually grew up to be caregivers for their parents. Uh, there aren't that many around. So how do we fill that void?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the, the oldest of the baby boomers are turning 75 this year, so the need for elder care is growing and younger generations are Smaller, which leads often to dual caregiver roles. You know, people are caring for more than one. I think we need more uh, supports in the social system. And, you know, there are some policy proposals on the horizon to shore up home and community-based services for people um, and make family caregiving more sustainable and more affordable.
1: In your book, you talk about uh, the challenges that, that you faced. Uh, what kind of help will people find when they read your book?
3: Well, I, I hope that people will feel, you know, validated and seen in the work that they're doing. I do have some resources um, in the back. It's not a traditional how-to, but I think it gives a sense, I hope, of, you know, the kinds of help people can ask for and the support they should be able to marshal in their caregiving lives.
1: So many caregivers are hesitant to ask for help. I don't know about you and your situation, but uh, were you willing to reach out?
3: Yeah, I mean, we were very fortunate to have um, significant help from family. My husband's parents, in particular, gave up a lot to come and uh, be by his side and be by my side. I didn't always ask for all the help that I could have needed or wanted, um, especially some of the emotional help. I think a lot of us are really socialized to you know, say fine when we're asked how we are and the kind of struggle on alone. So I think that reaching out to the community that cares about you and, and asking for that help is really critical for any caregiver.
1: Well, that was my mom. She cared for my dad who had dementia. And my brother and I arranged for some help to go to her house to try to assist her. And she turned him away. She said, no, 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 I'm fine. Go help people who need it. Well, she needed it, mm. but wouldn't accept it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a that's a hard road. Dementia caregiving is really challenging.
1: And as you wrote this book, were you visualizing who's going to be reading it?
3: Yeah. Um, um, you know, I think I was maybe visualizing somebody like myself, somebody who'd been pulled into caregiving when they weren't expecting that in their lives and um needed to see how that might uh, play out in their lives needed to feel validated, feel a little more seen in the work. Um So my hope is that it can be for any caregiver.
1: All right. Stay with us just a minute. If you've just joined us, you're listening to caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith, who is filling in for Carol Zernial today. And then our caregiver SOS on air hotline, we're talking with Kate Washington out there in Sacramento, California. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. And Tina Smith, who works with Carol at the WellMed Charitable Foundation, is with us. Tina oversees the caregiver programs that are offered by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Our guest today is Kate Washington. She's an essayist and a writer in Northern California. Also the dining critic for the Sacramento Bee and her first book, Although she's written a ton of stuff is already toast, prayer giving and burnout in America day, uh, published by Beacon Press. And the book is available, I'm assuming, Kate, uh, on Amazon and elsewhere. That is correct. Uh, wherever books are sold, I hope. As you take a look at, uh, your work as a writer and you, you do a lot of writing, uh, mostly nonfiction, a lot of magazine writing, uh, it, uh, is something you can do from home. Uh, which, although it interfered with your caregiving, probably made it easier for you to work.
3: Yeah, you know, I did not do much work uh, during the most intense period of caregiving for my husband. Um, Part of being a freelance writer was that I did have the flexibility to turn down assignments and and not take on very much. I continued writing, but in a more informal way. Um, To be honest, taking care of him was so absorbing and so time consuming that I didn't really feel like I had a lot of uh, mental focus left over. And I was afraid to take on too many deadlines for fear that I would miss them. Uh, But I did continue writing. Um, We kept up with a blog to keep in touch with family and friends about Brad's condition. And I was in a writing workshop. So I was writing some of the material that ended up kind of being the bones of
1: this book. Now what was to, Brad's to, prognosis?
3: Well, it was challenging. He had a very rare form of lymphoma, so we could not get a lot of good information about it at first. The doctors just honestly didn't know, and it's one of those things where I'm sure many of your listeners know only too well. You never really want to be the patient that the doctor is saying like, well, we just don't we just haven't seen this before. Um, right. And then when he had his stem cell transplant, he had a donor uh, transplant uh, with donated cells from his brother, which was a very good match, but he had a very strong reaction um, with a complication called graft-versus-host disease. And his case was very, very severe. And at one point, he, I was told that the kinds of complications that he were, was having, uh, he really only had about a 10% chance of survival. So it was not a good outlook, and it was emotionally perhaps even more taxing than it was physically taxing. Um, And I think the twin burdens of the emotional scarring and difficulty around caregiving when you're caring for somebody you love and seeing them really challenged and and the possibility that they may not survive – Combined with the really exhausting uh, work, often of physically, you know, going between the hospital and home, staying up late to do physical tasks that your uh, loved one needs, that combination just makes it an incredibly overwhelming experience for so many caregivers.
2: Yeah, I, w- I wanted to ask because we see, you know, you know, caregivers like yourself that you get so busy just doing all that you're doing, you don't have time for anything else you know, taking care of yourself. You don't have time to even, you know, self-introspection to think, Hey, I'm, I'm stressed out right now. And so what were some signs that you saw that you were heading down the road or maybe had reached that point of of burnout? What did you, what did you see? What did you feel? You know, I really noticed um,
3: that I was much less patient, much more irritable um, had had a harder time, honestly, summoning compassion, For Brad, and the whole reason I was doing it was to care for him. But I think that burnout can really sap that human connection and that human part of care because people just don't have the emotional reserves left anymore. Um, And that was a real warning sign for me. Um, Stress clumsiness, I noticed that I got really, I was tired and so strained that I was like tripping over things and hurting my knee. Um, So that prolonged stress response, I think can really lead to physical effects as well as the emotional effects, which, and you're absolutely right that so many caregivers don't have the time or space to carve out, you know, those moments of self-care or, you know, staying in touch with themselves, which is why it's so important to have Organizations like yours that can provide that support can provide respites to help people do that. I'm always really, really wary of saying, like, oh, people need to engage in self care because when you're using 110% of your time caring for somebody else, caring for yourself goes to the absolute bottom of the list.
1: One of the gentlemen that we interview quite often, Dr. Jamie Heisman, uh, wrote the book, Take Your Oxygen First, uh, which is his message to caregivers uh but it's easier said than done
3: yeah i think sometimes that it really is easier said than done um you know when my husband came home from the hospital after his stem cell transplant after 4 months i was told by his doctors that he needed 24-hour care and then they said, you know, and family can step in. And it's like, well, 24 hours is a lot, even if you divide it up among three people, you know, it's, it's a really high level of, of commitment to ask from anybody, and especially to ask in such a kind of assuming way you know not to ask but to assume like well you'll be there for 24 hours a day and it's like no i i have to take my kids to school and sleep sometime you know and that's the just the very lowest level of putting on your own oxygen mask first but it is it is important to keep you know that sense of self and keep you know that oxygen mask on
1: to the best of your ability how did you manage it
3: well, as I said, we did have um we did have family help. Um, we also were fortunate to be able to hire in-home caregivers, which is, I know not something that's accessible for many for many caregivers because of the cost. It was out of pocket. That is something that I would love to see more widely available to people. Um, you know, I think people can also get respite care and be hooked up with services to to provide a little bit of relief, but it's um, it's a real gap, uh, that the home care.
1: As you take a look at uh, all that you did, are there things you would have done differently? And to the people who are listening who are uh, maybe within the hour about to become a caregiver, what's your advice to them? Because um, I know you wrote about their days you thought you'd just drive to the airport, park <laughs> the car, and get on a plane and go to any semi-tropical spot.
3: Well, I'm glad to say that one of the things I wish I had done differently was not that I had dropped everything and gone to Hawaii. I'm glad I stuck it out, you know, even though I might regret like missing out on a Mai Tai or two. But um, that that said, I wish I had pushed a little harder and much earlier for the forms of relief and um, social services and other kinds of supports that are available within the system, but that you really have to dig for. You have to be a really tenacious advocate to get the things you need both for the loved one you're caring for and for yourself as a caregiver. And I think early on, I was really concerned with being kind of a good caregiver and a good care partner, and I I could have pushed a little harder earlier You know, some of the things I'm glad I did were sticking with some of the, you know, self-care, some therapy, some other supports and accepting family help, accepting community help. I would just say to caregivers out there, you know, you're not alone. Marshal the supports you can and accept all the help you're offered
2: and then some. What would you recommend? Because about sixty percent of caregivers are still working in some form or fashion, as were you. I know it's probably more non-traditional forms of work, mm-hmm. but what would you say to employers? Uh, because a lot of their employees are, are facing, you know, caregiving situations.
3: Yeah, I I think I just saw some really interesting numbers out from Stanford um research showing that paid family leave is not harmful to employers does not hurt their bottom line. And so I would really encourage employers to be flexible and generous and offer paid family leave when they can and be as understanding as they can be of employee employees uh, care situations. You know, a good employee is a very, very valuable thing. And it's important to recognize that value and offer them the trust and support that you can wherever you can to retain that value, and also because it's the right and human thing to do.
1: For some employers, when the employee has to uh, go to doctor's appointments and uh, hospital visits, uh, they look rather dimly on that, uh, and yet it's the only way to maintain caregiving uh, and work.
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Uh, For those who want to get a hold of your book, I mentioned Amazon would be one. Do you have a website?
3: I do. My website is kawashington.com, and it's got links and my other work and a lot more about the book. And among the magazines,
1: you've written for the New York Times, uh, you've written for Time Magazine, Literary Hub. Are are you still doing the writing?
3: Yes, I am. I do continue to write, um, both on caregiving and on other topics.
1: Cool. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. You take care. Kate Washington uh The book, which is uh, available, uh and we encourage you to read it, Already Toast, Caregiving and Burnout in America. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for joining us. Tina Smith, who filled in for Carol today. You did a great job, as always, Tina. Thank you. Thank you. It's always good to be here. And thank you all for joining us on Caregiver SOS on air.